Parents, part of Parenting Great Kids is brought to you by Coffee and Crayons, a back-to-school podcast from Target and Slate Studios. You know that getting ready for a new school year is about more than new backpacks. It's a time for parents to give their kids the support they need to thrive. But everyone needs support, even us parents. And who better to help than fellow parent and host of Coffee and Crayons, Mallory Kasdan. Listen along as she talks compassion, creativity, and inclusion with parenting influencers and everyday people. Subscribe now to Coffee and Crayons on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 64, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, we're going to continue a conversation that I had last time with Tim Winter, the president of the Parents Television Council. We'll be talking about computer, television, iPad screens, and the effects they can have on your children. If you missed the first part of the discussion, you can simply go to megmeekermd.com slash podcast. You'll find the first part of this interview there and any others from the past that you've missed. Once again, go to megmeekermd.com slash podcast. Before we get into the interview, I want to tell you that Tim is the president of the Parents Television Council. He's a highly sought after speaker, and he often appears on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. He lives in Los Angeles, California with his wife and daughter. And as always, I'll share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And parents, as a reminder, Please don't just download these podcasts, click subscribe, because when you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribe list. I promise you won't regret it. And I'd love for you to write a review on iTunes and let me know what you think. Not only are we on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today and don't miss a single episode. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 64. Stay with us. Now on to my points to ponder. First, watch television shows with your kids. You know, it's inconvenient to sit down and watch shows with your kids. I get it. But it's really important for two reasons. First, it allows you to ask questions after or during the show so you can help your child think critically about what she's watching. Second, it will give you a sense of how your child reacts to certain things she sees. Many girls see things that are frightening them, but they don't want to say so because they don't want to look immature or like a baby. But watching with your child will help you get a sense of what she can and cannot take. Every child responds differently 
to violence and different things they see on television. Second, screen shows ahead of time. It's very easy to go to the Parents Television Council website and see their reviews of shows. You don't have to watch everyone. They will do it for you and then give reviews and recommendations. So if they don't recommend something and you still want to see it, watch it before your child sees it and then you decide whether or not you want your child to watch it. Three, always approve films that may seem more mature than your child can take. Many parents make the mistake of believing that their child can handle themes that are more mature than their age. Don't do this. Many kids I've seen have nightmares, bad feelings, and are confused when they're exposed to things that are above their heads. And you know, it's very tempting to think that our kids are more mature than their friends. Don't do this. Never put your child in a situation where he feels this way. And the best way to do this is to always keep the rating of the show at or below his age level. Don't go above his age level. If your child wants to see a PG-13 movie, he should be at least 13. If your child wants to see an R-rated movie, he should be at least 17. Don't let your 10-year-old watch an R-rated movie. Do your child a favor and at least adhere to the standards that Hollywood sets when it comes to rating. Friends, I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Tim Winter. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Let's talk um, about internet use just in general for a little bit. Uh, There was a 2017 New York Times study that showed that teens and adults, this is surprising to me, check their smartphones at least 150 times per day and text 110 times per day. What do you think the, the, the inner net use? And when I know we're talking about screens in general and we're not talking about violence necessary, but, but what are your thoughts on, on how this kind of an obsessive smartphone use, what effect does it have on relationships of kids to their friends and kids to their families? I, um, I heard a sobering statistic just recently that I think will help put help add context for parents uh, as to just how much this is changing lives in grade schools today. There are, there's a growing percentage of children who when it's time for recess, don't go outside and play, but instead sit at their desk and check in on their social media platforms. Can you imagine? I mean, I I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in the sixties and early seventies, it, you know, recess was, <laughs> we lived for recess. We lived for, for dodgeball and kickball and, and, uh, you, you know, the, whatever it was to go outside and play and be able to have that break. And it was an important part of our day. And by the way, it's an, it's a very healthy part of your day because you get out and you, you, the blood flows, you, you exercise a little bit, you come back in and you're more focused. Um, children, instead of going out to play are sitting at their desk and checking in on their social media platforms. That's, you just talked a moment ago about um, uh, the the um, the ability to separate oneself from the persona you can take on uh, on, on mm-hmm. these media platforms, and you do things you wouldn't otherwise do because uh, it's you're anonymous or you're it's it's um, it's safe. Uh, 
um, you are mm-hmm. engage in riskier behavior. And we see that the, you know, the, the horrific news stories are real life consequences that come from that. The sad thing is we don't really know yet what the true impact is going to be on humanity from these, these devices that are both blessing and curse. I mean, it really is something that uh, is, you know, it's wonderful as a parent knowing that if your child needs you, he or she can reach you right away. But with it comes a whole Pandora's box of things that uh, that is now open, and we don't know yet what the true impact is going to be. What we do know is that uh, that the children are engaged in riskier behavior at younger and younger ages, and and that cannot have a good ending. No, absolutely not. And I think that it's interesting um, because I was, I read a study recently where they actually, uh, the researchers sent in spies to spy at fast food restaurants on adults eating with their kids and, and looking at the adult child interaction when the adult was on their phone. So the children weren't even on their phones. It was parents. And they found that when adult, whether it was mom, dad, grandparent, caregiver, whatever, was looking at their phone and the child was eating, there was a much higher negative interaction. And and that makes a lot of sense. Mom's not paying attention. She's looking at her text. She's looking at her Facebook, whatever. Kid says, can I have the ketchup? And she goes, be quiet, be quiet. I'm busy. I'm busy. You know, and what that does to children is horrible because it communicates to the kids. Your phone and the stuff you're doing is more important to you than me because you want to give it your attention. You don't want to give me your attention. And developing kids, whether they're five or 10 or 15, this really impacts their self-esteem, their sense of value. So it isn't just the, the kids using the phones, it's the parents using the phones too. The problem with children using phones is it's really hard for them to regulate their use. It's hard for them to choose what to do and what not to do because they're curious. You know, and I remember telling our son, and we talk to boys all the time, porn will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. Stuff jumps at you. Um, and and it, it, it's really, really scary parents are worried about bullying. Um, you know, and you have a report, 43% of kids report being bullied online. 73% are cyber bullied because of their looks. But of those kids, only 10% tell their parents because they're ashamed. I mean, they're embarrassed. Um, more than 58% of children 14 to 17 surveyed report having seen pornography, that's more than half of kids 14 to 17, and 37% have received a link to sexually explicit content. Would you talk for a moment, because anything you can see on your laptop, you can see on your phone, which means you can see it in class. My daughter's a teacher, and she said, for the life of me, I can't understand why they don't outlaw the use of phones in schools and parents allow their 10, 12, 15-year-old kids to come to class with a phone. And then we wonder why there's so much ADHD out there. And you've got kids sitting inside and they need to go out and run around, particularly boys. But anything that a child can get on a laptop, they can get through a phone, which means they can access this almost any time. Will you talk for a moment about 
boys and pornography? Yes. Uh, we have done research on um, some of the most popular uh, social media platforms for children as it relates to consuming video, things like YouTube. I mean, what's what, you know, you, I think all of us have watched videos on YouTube and have laughed or been amused or entertained. Um, they're, they're, we're happy that YouTube has Im- improved their parental controls, but they're still uh, not as tight as they should be. Uh, even for things like, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they have a, a ban on pornographic content. But what we found is by searching on even child friendly search terms, this is going back a, a few years, but remember the Disney uh, uh, um, franchises about the Jonas Brothers and Miley Cyrus and uh, and oh, uh, sure. Hannah Montana. Just by searching on those search terms in YouTube, you could come up with videos that by clicking in the middle of the video, one or two mouse clicks away, you could be taken to hardcore pornography. And what what yeah. what parents mm-hmm. need to understand on these platforms is that uh, it's there, there are predators out there who, you know, like a fisherman with a lure, they're, they, they are dangling lures in front of children that they know are going to be enticing to a child and a mouse click or two away and they are in, then in direct contact with that child. I think that parents think of internet content, television, video games, and so forth as well. You know, I, I've watched it and I, I turned out okay. Uh, there seems to be this denial of of what the impact, the, the long-term cumulative impact is. The desensitization that you talked about earlier is so powerful in shaping values and moving from, from childhood to adulthood. And when you have... When you have so much content that is within a mouse click or two away, that is wholly age inappropriate and sometimes inappropriate outright, no matter what the age, it's so toxic, it's so dangerous, and I still feel that parents still aren't getting the the magnitude of the risk and the risk of harm. And mm-hmm. um, I know your work over the years, you've stressed how it it's it's takes other you know t- it takes a good adult to create a good adult. I, and I'm paraphrasing some of your, right. some of the stuff I've read about you in the past, Meg, but it really begins with the parent understanding. Yes, they, they, they know they, they should put their child in a car seat. Sometimes it's the law in most states, but, but they still know that that's what they have to do to keep their child safe. They lock their doors at night. They try to send their kids to the best schools they can. They try to feed them healthy food. But for some reason, there's a disconnect in the media consumption uh, issue and just the magnitude of its impact on, on especially you know, our, our children, young boys are so visually stimulated uh, and girls are becoming more so mm-hmm. too. Even some of the content we're seeing on television now, it's not just the boys who are sexualizing the girls, but the girls are sexualizing themselves. And if you're a boy watching that, you're yes. stimulated by watching one girl sexualize another girl. So, so you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you talked about this a minute ago about, well, if, if my child watches a video, violent video game or plays a violent video game or sees something inappropriate, are they going to turn into a murderer? Likely no, of course not. But you can't ignore the long-term cumulative impact. The fact that, you know, I have friends who have smoked cigarettes and they don't have lung cancer. So does, you know, well, that, does that mean the cigarettes aren't harmful? No. It means that there's a long-term cumul- cumulative impact on your health there as well. Same with the diet that you, you, you consume food-wise. Same with the diet that you consume media-wise. 
And when we think back to those numbers I cited earlier, that by 18, kids will have seen 16,000 simulated murders and 200,000 acts of violence. You can't tell me no reasonable parent would say that's not going to affect them. It does affect who they become. The science suggests that that the youngest children can't disseminate uh, fiction from nonfiction in the media they consume. They just don't have that capacity to to understand that. And 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 science confirms what most parents instinctively know to be true. Whether you're a believe in creationism that it's sinful to put put sinful thoughts into your body, or whether you are a Darwinist and you believe that there's an evolution that we become visually stimulated and so forth over time. What's interesting is they both lead back to something that that parents of all stripes must understand and appreciate the impact that you just described by consuming, by consuming and visualizing these things. It does have an impact on the cognitive development of a child's brain as they grow. It does. And and I want to reiterate that you're not saying that anecdotally because you have anecdotal evidence and you're not saying that because of a personal bias. You're saying that because solid sound research supports it. And there's no paucity of great research out there. And we're getting more and more and more. Um, and, and, and what I'm seeing, uh, in the research and in my office is the, the effects of social media on girls and the, the rise of depression. Um, and it's really very disturbing and it's a huge health risk, um, emotionally, physically, cognitively, you know, in just so many ways. And, but I agree with you. I think that parents in general poo poo this because they think, well, I got by and I was fine. Well, make no mistake. The media you consumed 10, 15, 20 years was very different than what your kids are seeing and their ability to access very violent, very sexual material is much more prevalent and easier for them than it, and it was for you because these sites, these people with, are, with ill intent are pursuing your children and they didn't pursue you. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Tim Winter. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Tim Winter. Parents, autumn has arrived at Mod Cloth. Put a stylish spin on the season with classics like a tweed blazer and a corduroy jumper. Not to mention bold silhouettes, rich textures, and yes, plenty of plaid. Find a variety of looks in a full-size range from XXS to 4X. And count on Mod Cloth's team of Mod Stylists for complimentary sizing and styling help. Counting down to the days to Halloween? Mod Cloth's got something to suit each and every ghoul. Nab everything from cat and bat prints to polished dresses you can wear well past the witching hour. Friends, I love mod cloth clothes. They have fabrics like velvet that they even use in their shoes. They have flats with bats on them and yellow oxfords. They have funky shoes, traditional shoes, and the same is true with their clothes. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter MEG at checkout. That's modcloth.com. Enter the code MEG for 15% off 
your purchase of $100 or more. This offer is valid for one-time use only and expires on December 8, 2018. Parents, sleep or lack of sleep affects so much of your day-to-day life, from your health and physical appearance to your attentiveness and patience. Mattress Firm understands that a great night's sleep is the ingredient for a great day, and they want to make finding a perfect mattress at the perfect price one less thing to worry about. Never wake up on the wrong side of the bed again. With Mattress Firm's unbelievable low prices and their wide array of mattress comforts and features, it's impossible not to reestablish your love and appreciation for an uninterrupted night's sleep. Right now, when you go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast, you can take 10% off already low prices when you use the promo code PODCAST10. And if shopping online isn't your thing, they have more than 3,000 stores nationwide, so they're never too far away for you to drop in and find a mattress that fits your body and budget. Take 10% off at mattressfirm.com slash podcast with a promo code PODCAST10. Do your mind, your body, and your wallet a favor and find your next mattress at Mattress Firm today. So let's get to what parents can do. Uh, and I'm parents, grandparents, um, anybody, anybody who's involved in the child's life. I know a lot of parents feel overwhelmed. And they say, it should be my child's job to regulate how much time they're on their their video or how much time they're on their laptops or the phone. I said, no, they can't regulate it because they're not developmentally capable of doing that. So what are the, the top three most important things that you believe a parent or grandparent, whomever, can do to curb screen use? Because I think... All parents want to cut screen use in their kids. They're not sure if it's possible and they don't know where to start. So can you give us three of the most important things they can do? Yep. Number one would be lead by example. Um, you, you, As a parent, you, you're constantly trying to instill values in your child, that the values that you hold dear. And that's true regardless of political stripe or economic situation or, or racial, ethnic, uh, religious background. Everyone, every parent is is trying to instill in their child the values that they hold dear. And if if you're going to be serious about curbing screen time, that means you have to lead by example and also uh, curb your own screen time and, and be a good example. The second is to set a budget. Um, you wouldn't just give your child a credit card and not ever be accountable for the credit card use. Mm. Um, so if you think about um, a, a spending budget. Think about a media budget. You know how how much time can you spend? How, where, where are the time windows where you're allowed to go and check in and see what's going on? Um, you know, we we we. I mentioned earlier that that it is a cell phone is a blessing for a parent when they're not with their child to know they can reach their child or their child can reach them. And there are of course exceptions when there's cases of emergency that uh, that they should always be able to have access to reach their parent, but. When they're away, um, you know, have that media uh, diet, that budget set aside for how much they can use. What's good is that I think finally some of the hardware manufacturers are understanding that 
parents are concerned about this. They're allowing more and more controls over how many hours it's used and so forth. And to make sure that you're, you're um, aware of what those functions are, uh, reach out to your hardware, whether it's an iPhone or, or, or an Android phone, there are parental controls that are, that are used, are able to be used and are important to be able to be used. So, you know, think about this as a budget, just like you would financially. And third, be aware of what your child is consuming. Monitor your child's use of, of devices for the content as best as you can. Usually you can go back and look at history to see what they're looking at and so forth. There are um, apps that can be dropped on an, on an adult's phone that kind of monitors texts and so forth of, of, of their children. Uh, but the most important thing is to be cognizant of what your child is consuming. If they're being very secretive, it's a red, it's a red flag. If they're being open and transparent about what they're doing, then that's a, that's a big green light that things are going well. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I think when it comes to things like movies for sure and video games for sure, you know, there's no reason any parent can't sit down and look at the top 10 worst ones for kids and say, not in our house. And parents are afraid that, well, if I forbid them, that's going to want to make them watch them all that much yep. more. Not really. <laughs> you know, not really. Kids won't like it. And they'll say, well, I'm going to watch it at my friend's house. And you'll say, well, if you do, you do. But not on my watch. And what it communicates to the kids is, I love you. I care. These are my rules. And if you want to go watch it at, at your friend's house, you're doing it out of bounds. You're doing it with, without my nod of approval and without me sanctioning that. And that is so important because if a child can watch it at home, parents say, well, I'll watch it with them and explain it. No. If a child watches it in your home, you are sanctioning it. So even if you sit there and say, this was a terrible show, da, 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 you still watched it in the child's mind. It still is okay because they don't, kids don't think like we do. So what are the kind of, do you know, you know, what your top choices for um, internet monitoring are? What kind of things can parents put on their kids' phones and, um, and their computers, at least while they're, they're working in the home? To, to keep them safeguarded or or they're they're too many there, there are there are many that are out there and we are trying to synthesize the list ourselves to figure out which services mm -hmm. are the best to adopt um, we have pushed back very hard in recent years on some of the platforms we talked a little earlier about um, um, Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu and so forth in terms of what those uh, what do those distribution platforms provide in terms of parental controls? And we found them ver to be very lacking. Even though you could block mm -hmm. certain shows from being streamed to your child's phone, when they're looking through the, the program title, sometimes the, the, the title and the artwork of an explicit movie shows up right next to a family-friendly movie. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, we're, what we're trying to do is make sure that those who are producing and distributing explicit content uh, are are held more to account and put in greater and greater protections uh, for, for parents so that you can still have you know those devices and use them. You know there are some good filtering devices that are out there. There's there's one in particular. If you have Netflix or Amazon Prime, there's a company called Vid Angel. Vid Angel is a wonderful service that allows parents to stream movies that might not otherwise be suitable for the family, but you can set. 
uh, controls and then be able to watch the movie. And what happens is, for instance, if there's an F word or something or a, or a sexual situation or a violent situation, it just burp, skips right past it. This skips right past it. And so it allows you to consume, for instance, The Martian, the movie The Martian, without the F words. Mm-hmm. And, and how nice is it that you could be able to consume as a family, you know, mainstream Hollywood motion pictures without the material that is so offensive. Uh, VidAngel, we think, is, uh, is onto something. They're still relatively young as a company, but we're very supportive of what they're trying to do by providing parents with an ability to allow their families to consume media without, that's free of the explicit stuff that uh, might get an R-rated or a PG-13 rate rating from the MPAA. That's excellent. I appreciate that because a lot of times parents are saying, you know, what's the best thing and, you know, what controls can I put on? You know, finally, the million dollar question. I, I can't tell you how many times I get to ask this, so I'm anxious to see what you t- say. And that is how much time should be my kids be on screens a day? <laughs> what's okay and what isn't? Well, uh Keep in mind, I'm an advocate, not a scientist, and and the answer would mm-hmm. uh, be as, as the, the least possible amount that you you can possibly control. I know that um, some of the most recent research that I saw that even even just television, uh, I think the average usage was still right around 35 hours per week uh, for the average child. That's mm-hmm. more time than they spend in school, more time than they spend with a parent, more time than they spend playing with their friends. It's more time than anything they do except sleeping. Right. And, and so, uh, that's, that's a shocking. Uh, amount of screen time. That's just television. Um, the, um, the scientists, I think up until age, uh, I think five or six or seven suggest no screen time, uh, because it's, uh, mm-hmm. the, again, the ability, the inability for a child that young to, to differentiate fact from fiction, real from unreal, fantasy from reality. They just don't have that cognitive skill yet developed. So, you know, keep it to as close to zero as you humanly can. Uh, it is, it's it's tough because of different situations, different families, different values um, to say, here's the hard and fast number. But if parents can keep in mind that this is something that uh, is toxic, that they wouldn't sit back and say, well, how many cigarettes are they going to allow Junior to smoke over the course of a week? Right. You know, if you start thinking of things in terms of, of, of mental health that way, um, then I think what happens is there's a, there's an understanding that, uh, uh, that less, less is better and, and it needs to be, uh, fewer hours per day. The, uh, we were talking about earlier the, the fact that a parent needs to really lead by example here. Uh, it's so easy after a hard day for a parent to come home, pop on the television, pop on their cell phones, look at the, turn on the computer and have that moment of escape. But keep in mind that, that your children are watching. That's the tagline for the Parents Television Council because our children are watching. They're watching us. They're watching these other social media platforms. They're watching television. And what they think is, well, my parent may believe X, Y, or Z. By watching television, I see what the rest of the world believes. Right. And what they're being fed is a false dialogue of how the, what the world really believes. And, and that's why parents need to be so involved, so engaged, just as they would with every other aspect of their child's health. Absolutely. And, and it's so hard because so parents are tired. And it's so easy to throw a device or turn on the TV and say, I'm just going to go rest to here you go. It's kind of a, it, it's a babysitter. And I get that. And I know that sometimes that's perfectly fine. You know, if I'm watching my grandkids and I'm exhausted and at six o'clock at night and I'm getting 
dinner ready. I'll turn on Peppa Pig, you know, and, but you know, sometimes that's what you do, but it doesn't mean your kids have to watch TV 35 hours a week. There really needs to be some serious moderation. And I always encourage parents, you know, if your kids are on devices four hours every evening, you know, say, okay, one hour out of that four, everybody unplugs. It's just the way it is. And it, it's going to be pretty tough and miserable that hour at first because everybody's withdrawing, truly. But after a while, kids get so used to enjoying that time that they don't have stimulation. You know, boy, that's a whole new show on, you know, overstimulation of kids and how that all plays into ADHD. And it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy making. My guest has been Tim Winter from the Parents Television Council. It's an amazing organization. It has a tremendous amount of information and every parent with a child, whether your child is a year old or 18, needs to go to the PTC, check out their website, read what they have for parents. They do this work for parents and they really do it for kids to help you parent your kids and to help you keep your kids safe and really to help your kids grow up emotionally and physically and intellectually as heavily, um, I mean, as, 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 as happy as possible. Uh, Tim, where can parents find out more about you and the work that PTC does? Our website is parentstv.org, parentstv.org. We have, uh, a whole, as you said, a whole volume of information. We do research. Uh, we have uh, public education efforts. We have grassroots advocacy efforts, public policy efforts. Uh, we allow folks to come and learn and do, be active, be engaged, but most of all, be a more informed parent so that you can understand, uh, make better choices for, for your, the media consumption for your family. And so you really give tools for parents and tips. Here's what you can do that really works. Not just the why they need to do that, but but the how to do that. And I think education is extremely important because a lot of us are in the dark about what's out there and the influence our kids. But I think once parents realize there really is something you can do about it, and it doesn't mean you have to overhaul your home, and it doesn't mean you need to take their cell phone, your laptop and everything and put it in your driveway and drive over it with your car. (laughs) So, you know, you don't need to do that. But but technology is here to stay, and there is a way that you can um, teach your kids to use it responsibly, take charge, and do that for yourself as well. Thank you so much, Tim. This has just been a wonderful, wonderful um, time together. I would love to have you back on because there's so many different directions we could go um, in talking about the influence of media on kids. Well, thank you, Meg. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I want to thank you for your important work. I mean, uh, so many parents could, uh, could, could benefit so greatly by seeing and hearing what you're doing, what, you, what you're recommending to them. It takes a really strong, powerful, positive adult to create a child who's going to become a powerful, strong, positive adult. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I echo your sentiments about, you know, what kids really need. So, anyway, thank you, Tim. We'll do it again. Thank you, Meg. All right, parents, it's time to get social. You know I love to hear from you and interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker MD. Or if you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Here's a question from Heidi. Dear Dr. Meg, my eight-year-old daughter has struggles with one of her classmates. 
They're getting ready to enter third grade. And this has been going on since kindergarten. She attends a small school in a rural area. She feels as though other kids purposely leave her out and steal her friends. I know there are two sides to every story. And I know that the other girl is a good kid. But the two girls seem to be in constant power struggle. My daughter has started wanting to avoid situations where she'll have to interact. And this is tough because any extracurricular activities requires them to be in close contact. My husband and I try advising her to be assertive, but kind in her interactions and even try role playing. The other kids get put in a tough position to be asked to choose sides, and truthfully, they usually choose the other girls. I know my daughter isn't an innocent victim and could handle these situations better, but we don't know how to help her. Great question, Heidi. You have raised very good concerns, and your daughter will really benefit from your help. Feeling like the odd man out or even being bullied is really tough for children. So here are a few things that I believe can help. First, I would call the other girls' mothers and meet with them. Tell them that you're concerned about the girls' friendships and how they're getting along. Don't tell the other mothers that your daughter is being bullied or that their daughters aren't very nice. But even though the girls aren't nice, you want to get the other mothers on your side. So ask them what they suggest on how to help all of your daughters get along better. And if you need to meet with each girl's mother individually, that's fine too. Tell them that the girls are going to be in school together for a long time and you want both of them to have good experiences. Let her know that if the girls don't get along, they'll both end up suffering. Don't just focus on your daughter's issues, but on the dynamics of all of the girls. Second, Invite one of the girls over to your house to play. Now, this is going to feel a little dicey and your daughter is going to say, I don't want anybody to come over, but do it anyway. Don't invite the meanest girl first, but perhaps one of them who's nicer to your daughter and and helps her to fit in. This way, you can watch your daughter with the other girl and then you can talk to them about the importance of being kind to one another. Third, I would definitely talk with your daughter's teacher. She'll have watched the girls interact and she can probably give you a different perspective and she can probably help you on how to help your daughter navigate this really tough territory. Tell the teacher what your concerns are and ask if she can help you and she can help the girls. Finally, I would encourage you to have your daughter get involved in activities outside of school. Give her an opportunity to make friends with other girls. It would be nice for her to have different dynamics with different girls. It would make her feel a whole lot better. I have another question from Rebecca. Dear Dr. Meg, my little seven-year-old niece is the oldest of two children and struggles with what I think is anxiety shutdown. What I mean by shutdown is she can't look at anyone. She stares at the floor and hangs on to her mother because she's uncomfortable with others. Here's an example. She'll spend 30 minutes on Skype looking at you without saying a word. But when you get off, she cries because she still has stuff to say. It takes her a good hour to become comfortable speaking with family members when she comes to visit our small and very quiet family. As far as discipline, she'll lose it 
when she's disciplined and yells at her mom, then shut down completely, usually in some other room or corner. Do you have any tips for me? I listened to your podcast about anxiety and gained a few tips, but it just didn't connect completely with the shutdown part. You know, Rebecca, you raised some great questions and I will, um, and I will tell you that you are a wonderful aunt. I believe that, yes, your niece does have some anxiety issues, but her issues go beyond normal social anxiety. And kids can have social anxiety even with family members. It sounds like she's very shy. Yes, it sounds like she withdraws and shuts down. And part of that may be anxiety. But I think that there may be something else going on here. She may have some social relationship issues. And these can be a little more difficult to treat. Also, you wrote to me later that she has some sensitivity issues. She's sensitive to noise. She's sensitive to anyone touching her hair. She doesn't want water to touch her face. And when I see sensory issues like that, in addition to kids withdrawing, I know there's something more going on than anxiety. I encourage, what I would encourage you to do is a couple of things. If you can, take your niece out alone, if she'll let you. Take her to the park, take her to lunch, take her to do something that she'll enjoy. This way, you can see how she communicates with someone one-on-one. And you just are able to watch her and see when she starts to shut down and when she doesn't. I would also try to talk with her mother and tell her you've noticed your niece's shyness and ask her what you can do to help. Don't put her mom on the defensive. You want to help her mom deal with this issue that I know she's very well aware of. I would also encourage her mother to take her to a pediatrician. You know, often doctors are used to seeing these issues and can really help. What she wants to do is ask her pediatrician if she needs an evaluation by a neuropsychologist. Again, the sensory issues coupled with the behavioral issues of her intense shyness can point to some other problems that she could be having, like autism or Asperger's. I'm not saying that's what your niece has. But when you see social awkwardness and sensory issues, it can be a clue that something else is going on. And having testing by a neuropsychologist will help get to the bottom of what's going on with your niece and it will really help her. So you are a wonderful Aunt Rebecca. Keep up the good work. Support her, support her mom. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so keep sending them to me. You can email me any question to askmeg at megmeekertmd.com. Again, askmeg at megmeekertmd.com. I want to thank my guest, Tim Winter. Check out his website at w2.parentstv.org. That's w2.parentstv.org. Let's recap my points to ponder. First, watch shows with your kids. Second, screen shows ahead of time. And third, always approve films that may seem younger than your child can take. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised 
not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to episode 64 with guest Tim Winter. And thanks to you, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 2 million downloads. You can like Dr. Meeker on Facebook and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. As a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for her newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe so you won't miss an episode.